You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, well, good morning, River. Hasn't God given us such a beautiful weekend, this Memorial weekend, and I'm so grateful for uh, our fallen veterans and those that have given us uh, the freedom to be able to worship, even if it uh, continues to be in very unusual circumstances. And, uh, but I'm excited to share uh, God's Word with you this morning. We've just got a couple of weeks left in 2 Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to be jumping into 2 Peter just after that. But we hit a, a, the final piece that Paul is wanting to talk about uh, this morning and about how we should go about investing and engaging in the life of others. Uh, my favorite teacher in high school, uh, name was Miss Chagru. And uh, I think Miss Chagru was single, although I don't uh, remember clearly. I don't think she had ever been married. And she was near retirement age and kind of that, that quintessential school teacher, if you will. And uh, I remember she was fairly short. And, but what stood out to me with Miss Chagru, uh, I had her for three years in Latin class. But what stood out to me is just year after year, she just, she, she cared about the students and cared about helping them learn. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, out of all the classes I had in high school, she was the only teacher that I knew that individually would meet with her students, call a special time, uh, even set aside that, that whole class time, let students study, but individually talk to students about where they were, what they were learning, where their grades were to, to help them. And she, she really was interested in, in what was going on. And consequently, it motivated me to learn. It, 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 Probably even encouraged me, although I don't remember, to stay in there, you know, an extra year of, of, of Latin. Well, all of us, if we look back in our past, have people in our lives that have invested uh, deeply in us. In fact, all of us are a collection of what other people uh, have poured into us who have, who have paid the price and, and given of their knowledge, their expertise, given a piece of themselves and helped us to grow and become the people that we are supposed to be. It's not really just a, a Christian thing. It's really a made in the image of God kind of thing. It's what we should be and do as people because that's the kind of God that God really is. But we as Christians, as those who follow Jesus Christ, we should be really good at it and it should be a priority in our lives. It's part of that loving your neighbor as yourself kind of thing. If there's anything in the Christian life that, that we know, it's that we should not be about ourselves, we should be about other people. And so this morning I wanna talk with you as, as we unpack, Paul is he beginning to, he's addressing one problem that was kind of lingering and nagging in the early church there in Thessalonica. And as he addresses it, I want us to see that he lays out for us a healthy model of the way that we should go about investing and engaging people around us. So I'm, I'm calling this message this morning, Training That Honors God. How do we train and equip and invest in people in a way that, that's designed and fits what God's plan is and the pathway is, and how do we do it in a healthy way? So mom and dad, would-be mom and dads in the future, listen up. Supervisors at work, listen up. This will help you to know how to, how to invest and how to hold people accountable to what they should be doing and what you should do. Coaches, listen up. Teachers, listen up. Church, we together are supposed to be an equipping training center to help people to know how to live a life that honors God and that experiences all that God has for us. So, so this morning, I want us to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start in verse 6 and go through verse 15. And I got four things that I want us to notice this morning. So read with me if you would. The Bible says this. Now we command you, brothers, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's heady. Paul says, this is not me. This is, I am claiming the name of the Lord Jesus on this one, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Hey, church, if you've got people who are disobeying the gospel of Jesus Christ and not living that way, people that, that, that know him, that are a part of your faith family, that, that, that love and walk with him, and they're not obeying Jesus, you need to keep away. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. And he goes on and explains that. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with the toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might, might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Here's why, that he may be ashamed. But catch this, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It's an act of love. Don't treat him like an enemy. Treat him like a brother that you love. I want us to notice four things this morning that, that Paul demonstrates to us and that we can learn not just how to address specific growth issues and, and people around us that we care about, helping others to really become obedient to the Lord Jesus. But we also see in here a picture of what we should be doing as mom and dad, as supervisors at work, and in every arena of life that Paul tells us. He, he lays this out for us. So the first thing I want you to notice is that if we're going to invest in people around us is that we should model life for them. Paul says, guys, I told you when I was originally there that because the Lord Jesus saves us, that we've got a responsibility to work, to not be lazy, not be idle, but to, to work and earn our own living. And, and he points to the fact, he says, as he looks back at that, he says, didn't I model that for you guys? When I was there, we could have uh, been full-time and asked or requested that you guys provide for us because we were teaching and preaching and, and, and equipping and training you so much of our time that it put pressure on us to actually earn a living. It would have been right and okay for us to do that, but we didn't. We didn't because we wanted to be a model for you that you could imitate. We wanted to model what a real Christian in real life should look like so that you could see and, and understand what that looks like. So much in the Christian life is more caught than taught. It's more what you see in the manner of life that you see in those others around you that you get a picture of. And that's what the Bible is telling us, that you and I should live our life in such a way that we should model and reflect the goodness of our God, the salvation that He's given us through His Son Jesus on the cross, that, that people should be able to witness that and to see that, that our lives should be open to them. 
Now we're told to model life for them, the Christian life, in every way, but we're given kind of two reasons here. Paul invokes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say the name of Jesus. It's another name to say Jesus in his title, which is Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the, the anointed, chosen one. But he also reminds us of his authority and of his, his deity and his kingship over this world. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name, I'm speaking this truth to you. You see, we should live our life in a way that models the glory of God. Our motivation to, to live this way is to honor Him and to honor His name. You know, every morning when you get up, you represent the Lord Jesus. Everything you say that day is a reflection on Him, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you have surrendered your life to Him as Lord and trusted in His death and on the cross as satisfaction for your sin, everything you do, everywhere you go, every button you click on the internet, everything you say is a reflection on Him. So Paul tells us that our motivation should be to, to model and to, to give honor to His name, to not bring His name down, not to cast shade, if you will, onto His name, not to create hypocrisy, but to honor Him. So as you, if you are a supervisor at work, you should, even if you are in a situation where you can't, you know, go and preach the gospel, obviously there's, you're paid to be on that job to get a product done and all of that, and you'll have opportunities privately and to have those conversations. But regardless, everything you do should be a reflection of that incredible gospel. People, to some degree, should be able to smell that goodness of God from you. They ought to be able to see it. They ought to see it in action that your life honors Him. The second motivation, he tells us, is that our life ought to be lived out as an expression of, of, of the, not only the Lord Jesus, but of the gospel itself. Paul says, he says this in verse 6. He says that, that you should keep away from that brother who's walking in idleness, not faithful in their work, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. The tradition we talked a couple weeks ago. For Paul, he's not saying, hey, you got to keep all of these thousands of years of tradition in the church. That's not what he's talking about. So much of what we do as churches is not really Bible, it's traditions. In fact, Jesus warned us. He said, be careful. Well, he was talking to the Pharisees, but, but it's a, an indictment, an injunction for us. He said, be careful. Why are you giving the doctrines of man, the traditions of man, as the doctrines of God? And there's so many things that we do in a church. And if we're not careful, we elevate those on par even with Scripture. When we should really just let the Bible be the Bible. No, for Paul, when he's talking about here traditions, is not those kinds of traditions. He's talking about the gospel teaching traditions. The things that, that, the, the, that come out of the gospel, that we should live that way. And, and the way in which we should live. So what Paul is saying is, is this. Our motivation for life is to honor the name of the Lord Jesus and to live out our life as an expression of the gospel. We've talked about this. It's so clear in these Thessalonian books, letters that we've been reading, is that the gospel is not just what we believe. It's not just what saves us that we put our trust in, but it marinates, it saturates into our soul. And it's then lived out in everyday life. 
Even when we're not consciously thinking about it, it's a reflection of God's grace that the God of heaven loved us and he saved us and he snatched us out of sin and death. And our life should reflect that. See, that's why Paul's telling them, guys, what are you doing not working? Jesus, the Lord Jesus saved you and he died for you. And you ought to live responsibly. You ought to be working hard and diligently, being faithful. You see, the grace of God doesn't lead us to irresponsibility. It isn't that, oh, great, I've been this terrible sinner and now God just forgives me. No. Yes, God forgives you, but it actually means that we then now should live responsibly. Think about it this way. You know, if, if we end up going bankrupt financially for whatever reason, sometimes it happens, medical bills, just things, unforeseen things happen, and sometimes we just, people go spend way more than they should and, and make way less to match that spending, and they get in upside down, and, and they end up having to declare bankruptcy. When, when somebody's gone through that, and when they've gone through those proceedings, and, and then they find at some level forgiveness or grace, or they manage to get that solved, and they, they get things back on their feet, they shouldn't say, oh, well, that was easy. Look, we got out of that. So we can go back and do the same things we did before. No, instead it should be, thank you that we got out. And now we've got a chance to live differently. That, that's if we have control over those financial issues. We should, we should live responsibly in that world. So church this morning, the gospel of the Lord Jesus tells us that we should model and live that in every area, not just the big things, but in the grand scheme of things, even the little things. Our faithfulness at work should be very, very clear. There should be no doubt about it. We shouldn't be punching the clock in late and, and cutting corners. We should be giving it our best and working diligently. We shouldn't be, for, for followers of Jesus, there shouldn't be write-ups or questions about our integrity or our faithfulness or our motivations at work. We do it to honor our Lord God in heaven. So that's the first step. If you want to invest in other people, if you want to turn around and help the next generation, if you want to be a good supervisor, if you want to be a good educator, teacher, equipper, coach, if you want to be a good fellow Christian helping the next Christian to know how to live their life, model what that looks like in every way. Model what the gospel is in your life. Second thing I want us to know is that we should teach. Paul tells us not only that we should model our life, but we should teach principles. When Paul was, was talking through here, he, he not only said, you know, hey, look at us. Night and day we labored and we modeled that for you. You should imitate us that way. But it, he also said in verse 10, he said, when we were there with you, we, we give you this command. It was a repeated kind of thing. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You see, for Paul, he didn't just model it, but he taught them specifically. He said, guys, here's what you're observing in me. Here's why you're watching me work so diligently. Because the principle is this is that the Lord Jesus has saved you, and you should work faithfully. So if you want to obey Him, not just look at what I do, but I'm going to teach you and give you those principles. Now, there's a couple of things in here you need to know. When you try to teach somebody to do something, and you don't live it, that's an integrity issue. That's hypocrisy. And when parents try to teach their kids to do something that they don't in turn live, that, that teaches, that builds resentment in their heart, 
It builds rebellion in their heart, and they don't want to do it. When you're a supervisor and you turn around and expect something out of your employees, maybe you want them to not be critical and gossiping and just drama in the workplace, but you turn around and do it, then what you're doing is opening not only yourself up to criticism, you're undermining your leadership, and you're actually leading them to totally blow you off and to not follow you. You lose credibility in the name of Jesus. The Lord Jesus is shamed in your life. You see, teaching has to be, follows after our modeling. Modeling first, teaching second. Parents, or, or those of you when you get married before you have kids, that time between when you get married and when you have kids, that's your time to get your life in order as a couple, to build a family of, of love and respect and relationship, to build a home where any kid on the planet would want to live, especially the ones that God will ultimately potentially give you one day. So not only do, should we model first and then we, we teach, but in, in that whole grand scheme of things, our teaching gives enlightenment. It, Without the teaching, people don't know what we're looking at. They're looking at. Look at it this way. I, you guys know I love to bow hunt, and I love to shoot my compound bow, and, and I love to target practice and all of that with it. And uh, I've got one of my kids that, wants, that has been shooting a little bit but wants to bow hunt this fall with me. And so I've been spending a little more time with, uh, with her to just help her to kind of get up to speed and to know how to do it. And there's, there's training. You have to legitimately train and practice with that. And I helped her this week as I kind of looked at her to coach her as what she was doing and helped her to realize when you shoot a bow, you're, you're looking past a sight on your bow, just a little pin. And then you're looking at the target. And because your eye can't put both of those in focus, you have to choose one. You either put the pin in focus or you put the target in focus. And as, I, and as she shot her bow, I said, you know, honey, I said, you need to make sure that your eye is looking past your pin. So it's going to be a little blurry, but you're focusing on the target. You'll shoot more accurately. It'll be better. You'll have less target panic. It, it, it just will work out so much better. And when she tried it, she said, that helps a lot. She had seen me model that dozens of times. But without me taking time to explain it to her and teach her those principles, she would have never known. You see, when you and I model life, we're telling people, I can do this, because they see it in us. But when you take the time to explain and teach to somebody, what you're saying to them is, you can do this, and I'm going to help you do it. And they get the support, they get the training, they get the education, they get the development of what they need, and it helps them to improve. Folks, that applies to our Christian life. See, as Christians, we shouldn't just show up and be around with one another and just assume that we're living a good Christian life and people figure it out. That's why in our life groups, we want to open up. We want to share principles. We want to share where we're learning, share where we're struggling. And we want that together because it helps us do better. So model, then teach. Third thing, and this is where it gets dicey. The first tuple makes sense and are kind of common sense. But here's where things really break down, start breaking down. The third one is, is that we need to clarify expectations. Notice what Paul says in, in verse... 11. He says, For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Three things what we need to know about this clarifying expectations. And here's where people break down. Parents, 
we miss this. Employees, supervisors often miss this. See, we don't get instructions the first time. It takes practice. And, for, and sometimes it's not just because we're having to learn and we don't catch everything that's been taught us. Sometimes there's just rebellion in, in our hearts and we don't want to do it. And so we ought to expect as somebody who's trying to help and influence and help somebody else, I don't care whether you're sharing the gospel with them and you've modeled that before them, a, a life of what it looks like to follow Jesus and you've communicated that with them, somewhere along the way, you're going to have to clarify for them. You're going to have to help them because they're struggling with that. They're struggling with the stuff in their own heart. You may be just in a purely even a school system just trying to, to teach kids and you've modeled what you want them to do, let's say on the board, and you've, you've taught them principles and you come back and, and they're still just not getting it. You've got to then clarify. You've got to clarify those expectations and how that whole thing works. And that's what Paul is doing here with the church in Thessalonica. He said, guys, we modeled this, we taught you, but obviously it's not sinking in. Because we're hearing reports that some of you guys are very idle. You're not doing anything worth anything. And instead of being busy at work, you're busy bodies. You're getting into everybody else's business. You're online looking what's going on and you're getting into everything that's going on rather than you just quieting your life, stop making so much noise, creating drama, and going about your business and doing work. He says, there's something wrong here. Now, Three things if you're going to clarify well for people. This takes, this will, if you do these things, this will take the drama out of it. It will take the, it'll begin to take the emotion out of it as parents. Why didn't you do what I told you to do? It'll take the manipulation out of it and the threats and the anger. And it'll begin to drain the drama away. Because you will go into step three, which is beginning to clarify what the problem is. Now, Paul couldn't do it as well as we can do it because he couldn't be there in person. He's having to do it in a letter, but the principles are here nonetheless. First one is this. Is he, he says, look, here's what I observe. Here's what I communicated. Here's what I see. That's exactly what teachers do when we were in school on a test or, a, or homework. Here's what you did, and here's what it should have been. It's correction. It's, it's beginning to explain to them what where they went wrong and what was going on. And so we need to sit back and we need to help people to, to re-instruct them, to reinforce what we said to them. So it's pointing out the reality from where they are to where they should be. Second thing is we need to restate, restate the, the command, restate the exposition or the, the expectations, restate whatever it is that we're talking about. Paul says now, he, he goes in his letter, he says, look, we're going to talk to these people. I'm not just encouraging you as a church to address this, but my word once again is, I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm commanding you to work quietly and earn your own living. So if you're going to clarify expectations, you point out where the issues are, and you restate those expectations, and you go a little bit deeper. Paul said, look, you're supposed to not just work, but you need to work. Stop being a busybody. Here's what's going on because you haven't been doing this right. Here's the whole mess. And here's what I expect of you. There's a command. And then the third one, there should be an element of encouragement. Paul says, I encourage you in the Lord 
Jesus Christ. I don't just command you. I'm not just under the authority of God. And I'm helping you to realize that as I give you that command, that you're not just disobeying me, you're disobeying the Lord Jesus. And I'm making it clear to you what he expects in our life. But secondly, he says, I'm encouraging you. You see, it's in this area of clarifying expectations is where we begin to speak to the heart. It's where we sit down pragmatically today with someone and say, is there a reason why? What are you struggling with? What, what, what happened? Why did you do this? Not, why did you do this? I can't believe it. But, hey, what, what happened? Maybe it's where we realize as a, as a person who's trying to invest in others, maybe we didn't communicate well. Maybe we didn't explain it well. Maybe they weren't feeling well when we were talking with them. And it's a chance for us to sit down and to understand, to begin talking through with them and hearing what's going on. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says this, that, that pur a purpose in a man's heart, let me just read it. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. See, this clarifying is where you and I recognize that inside somebody's heart, there's a lot of stuff. And when we sit down, we're drawing out for them, not, just, not for us, but for them, what's on the inside. We began exploring, well, why are you struggling with that? Why, why were you afraid? Why did you get angry at your sister? What was going on in your mind? Why, why didn't you get that work today that I assigned you and expected you to do? And it's where we begin to, to draw out. We have to clarify for people. You see, this is where so often there's a breakdown. And our relationships with people and our supervision of people and our equipping and training our own kids, that we don't take this step. We want to somehow, we want to blend these last two that I'm going to share, not just clarifying expectations, but the last one is, 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 is dealing with consequences, be, correcting with consequences. We try to blend those together. And in the process, we don't pe treat people with the respect they deserve. We don't understand the situations going on. We are not helpful. In fact, we're hurtful. We end up putting ourselves in the middle of this because we're actually getting, uh, getting all worked up. And instead of letting the issue be the issue, we allow our, this whole situation to get way bigger than we should. Paul, under the authority of the Lord Jesus, said, Look, guys, here's reality. Here's what you need to do. Here's why. And we take that one step further and say, why? And we ask the why questions in people's hearts and lives. Mom and dad, if you learn to do that when your kids are younger, you will save a lot of headache and heartache in your life. If you will do that, you will show respect to your kids. And you will avoid disciplining them when you shouldn't. You will help you to, to get off that, that anger and get off that manipulation and get off that threat. It will... You'll pump the brakes and you'll understand what's going on and you will help them. You will truly begin equipping and training the people the way that they should be. That leads me to the fourth and final thing. Somewhere along the way, though, it's not just about modeling well and teaching well and clarifying and helping remove and address roadblocks or whatever's going on. Somewhere along the line, you're going to run into people, whether you're a supervisor whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach or anybody, if people that just don't want to do what 
is well within their capability of doing. And Paul told the church that they need to deal with that. He said, correct them with consequences in essence. Look at verse 13. He says, and as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't, don't get tired and worn out trying to help these people in your church that are not obeying the Lord Jesus. I'll come back to that in a minute. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, mark them, and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a, a brother. He's not saying to shame people for shame's sake. I, I love in our culture how, you know, you're body shaming me or you're doing this with shame. And I've been watching COVID all, you know, as much as you have over the last two months. And our government's not afraid of shaming people right now uh, at all. And it's so funny how we call out one and we ignore the other. Here's what Paul is telling us. He's saying this, when people are hell-bent, literally, on disobeying God, being irresponsible in their life, mooching off of the other Christians around them, and in essence they're doing it because they thought Jesus was coming back soon and that they just needed to kind of cash out. But when people are doing that, don't be a part of that. Just get out of that. Don't be enabling them. Don't be hanging out with them. Don't be having them over to your house all the time, enabling them to be irresponsible. Don't, don't step out of that world. Don't do it because they're, an, don't treat them like an enemy. Don't treat them like an outsider. Don't treat them like a lost person that 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18 talks about. They're a brother. But you shouldn't be just hanging out. And, and instead, they should realize that they're the ones that are out of step with God that there should be a natural conviction that happens in the world around them. Correct them with consequences. Now, in every scenario, that's going to look differently. It's going to look differently when you're trying to help somebody share the gospel with them. And maybe the consequences along the way is they're like, hey, come party with me. And you're like, look, I'm not. There's, if you're going to live that way, there's consequences. I'm sorry, I can't. It's going to look differently for a parent. It's going to look differently for a supervisor. Somewhere along the way, when you're, you've clarified and you've met with them and talked with them, you have to say, look, this is within your ability. You're still disobeying. I've got to write you up. Maybe go all the way ultimately with consequences to, to termination of them. But when you do that, they know what's coming. They know what's expected. It's within their ability, and you deal with it. And the drama and the junk is removed from it. You see, that's what we're talking about here. It's you and I investing and developing people for their best interest, not for our best interest. You know, when we're as parents, let me give you an example with parenting. When we go off the rails as parents, it's when we give a, a legitimate, reasonable expectation of our kids that's well within their capabilities by age, by development, aptitude, skills, all, all those capacities. And when they just willfully don't want to do it, Somewhere along the line, that pushes your buttons and mine, and we get angry and we come unglued. Sometimes we enable that, and we just allow that to go on, and we think, oh, well, that's funny, haha, they're such cute little kids. But truth of the matter is, their disobedience, even if it is cute and funny in that moment, it's not funny because they're disobeying you. They're throwing you under the bus, and when they're throwing you under the bus, they're throwing God under the bus. That's kind of what Paul's dealing with here. I mean, this is not, these people aren't going out and raping and murder and mayhem and acting and all these other things. 
They're just being lazy and not working and just busy by gossiping. But Paul is dealing with even those small things because he says, look, you're dishonoring God here. And that's the way we as parents should treat that. And when we don't deal with those things sooner and we let them grow, then we hit and we explode and we come unglued. And then the second thing we do is when we actually want them to do those things for our convenience and we, we begin to discipline them for out of our own self-centeredness rather than what's best for them, we manipulate and we threaten and we, we harm them and we emotionally, all that stuff that goes with it, instead of just clarifying, instead of coming back and saying, look, you knew the consequences, you've chosen not to do it, here's what they are. I'm doing this out of love for you. I'm doing this treating you as a, as a child that I love in my family. And I'm going to discipline you. I've not talked much about spanking as, as parenting here as a church. Our, my, our philosophy at River is we just talk about the things that Scripture talks about. But as we went through the parenting class last, uh, just a few months ago, it, it, it kind of hit me and realized that this was an area that is so important of just how do you correct and discipline children. And it only comes up in such very few places in Scripture, mostly in the Proverbs, that it's going to be a long time before we ever get there. I want you parents to know, and especially if you've got really young kids, I'm not thinking teenagers, that's, there's a whole other approach of bringing consequences into their life. But for young children, spanking has given, been given way worse of a rap than it should. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that if we love our children, we should discipline them and physically if we love them. In fact, if we don't, we actually hate them. Because the reason why is, is we're not holding them accountable. We're not bringing them to that point of consequence. Now, this is not an abusive thing. This is actually an act of love for their benefit. What I've noticed that kids that have been loved first, that they know that is an act of love in their life, and they know what those expectations are, and they know that it's been in their best interest, they receive that, and they respect that, and it's okay. Now, if, if a child has never experienced that or has been abused in the past, that's a whole other conversation. What I'm talking about for most children who are in loving homes, that that's been well established and they've been parented well and they've explained well, the time comes where they're going to cross those lines. And mom and dad, your responsibility is to deal with it biblically, to correct them with consequences. And if that's something that you've written off, Mom and Dad, I encourage you to go back and look what Scripture says. You can never ignore what Scripture says without deep consequences in your own life and your kids' lives. So regardless, though, whether we're talking about parenting, or we're talking about supervision and work, talking about coaching, talking about friends with one another, we tend to miss this one more than the third one because we don't like confrontation. I, I, to be honest with you, it's what I like least about pastoring. But there's a lifestyle that's expected of us as Christians, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, that we're to live that. And out of love, we should reach out to somebody and say, look, let me, let me, I've modeled for you, I taught you well, we have as a church community taught you and modeled well. What's going on? Why are you struggling? We'll sit here, we'll cry with you, we'll walk with you, we'll give you chances and help you and grow and know that we're not all robots and just automatically turn on a dime. But somewhere along the way, when there's a willful, clear, and just not wanting to do it, there's always consequences. I'll finish with this example. I've taught 
Bible college classes, just little, you know, little one-time classes here and there for, for oh, a number of years. And I had a student not too long ago that uh, this was for an online class that was writing uh, his assignments. And uh, I began realizing just how atrocious his grammar was. In fact, to the degree I couldn't read, I couldn't understand and comprehend what he was trying to tell me. Words just seemed to be in the wrong place and they weren't the right word. And not only was not only anything, there were no capitals in, in all of his, his writing and there was no punctuation, no periods or commas. And I just, I couldn't follow it. And so I began reaching out and saying, hey man, what's, what's going on? I emailed him and, and tried to say, how can I help you? What, what, are you struggling there? Maybe you can use Grammarly or something else. And what are you doing? And, and he told me, he said, well, I use text to talk. Uh, oh, that makes sense. So he's speaking into his phone, not speaking clearly. He knows that the radio is running and it's not picking up the words right and it's putting on, on paper. Not a bad way to do it. But then he never went back to edit it and to fix it and to clean it up. And after the fourth and fifth time of saying, man, your grammar, you really need to, to work on this. How can I help you in reinforcing it? I began taking more and more points off. I was lenient in the beginning because I recognized he needed to grow and he needed to have a chance to improve. But I said, if this doesn't change, I'm going to be required to hitting more and more. Folks, in our world around us, that's the approach that we should take as Christians. We should be best at this in every area of life to know how to model, teach, clarify, and when we need to get to that point of correcting with consequences. Christian, I challenge you, I urge you, all of us need to grow and improve in this area. If we will do this well, God will use us profoundly in the people around us. We'll have relationships that are healthy. We will give people the best chance to succeed and to grow. And God will be used in our lives to help those around us. And he will be glorified. So River, I don't know how this is hitting you, but I encourage you to take a look at how you have invested in people and how you're doing that. Where, have, where are you enabling? Where are you manipulating and threatening? Where are you just letting things go where you shouldn't deal with them? Paul said, if anybody is struggling with this, here's what you need to deal with. And I urge you, River, to take that step forward. Do it under the authority of the Lord Jesus, with His love, and with your heart to help them, to do what's best for them. You're not doing it for your convenience. Not out of anger and wrath, because you've been you know, inconvenienced, but instead because you want to help them. This is going to take work from you. That's why Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good, helping those around you. It's going to take work. Take work. You're going to have to come at it again and have time and time and time again. The beauty of that for parents is this. God is giving you a thousand opportunities to get it right with your kid and to help them. Not one. You're going to mess up, but you'll get it better next time, and you'll get it right. So don't grow weary in that. River, I pray you have a blessed week and a wonderful weekend and Memorial Day. And I pray you take these things to heart. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.